going to look at Nehemiah chapter 6, so if you have your Bible, we encourage you to uh, turn to Nehemiah chapter 6, and I'll read this for us as we look at what Nehemiah is now against. He had the outright opposition to begin with, uh, he had some internal issues to work through, and now we see how the enemy is trying to get him to give in in a different way by pretending to come alongside him. Now listen as I, as I read. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hecatharim in the plain of Ono. And they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written... It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went into the house of Shemai, the son of Delai, uh, son of Mehetabel, Uh, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did and also the prophetess Neoda and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Father, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we can see that uh, Nehemiah was up against uh, some internal, behind-the-scenes gossip, um, alliances, all designed to discourage and create problems uh, for the continued work there. Lord, as I consider the battle that we have with Satan, that there are times when we, we figure we've come to a place where where we're excited about what we can do for you. And Satan has a way of making alliances, in a sense, with our flesh to come in to distract us, to keep us from uh, doing the good work. 
And so, Father, as we look at this passage, that we will be encouraged that, that you have made a way of escape that we may not need to fall into the temptation uh, to be fearful and to uh, be persuaded from that which you have called us to do. Father, again, we thank you for your provision. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 6, we'll see details of how Nehemiah's response to the enemies attempts to coax him from the work that he is doing and to compromise. Not unlike what Satan wants to do to us on a regular basis, as he sees that we are uh, working towards becoming more like Jesus Christ, being being a disciple and attempting to make disciples, he wants to come in and make alliances with our flesh and distract us from this situation. Let's look at how that uh, Tobiah and uh, Sanballat and Geshem uh, wanted to, uh, in a sense, cause Nehemiah to uh, be distracted from what he was doing. Uh, You notice how, first of all, they encouraged a neutral site, someplace in Ono, uh, that would have been in between where uh, they, they were and where Nehemiah was. Doesn't it seem that way that Satan wants to meet us halfway? It doesn't want to necessarily encourage us to go all the way to uh, a particular aspect of sin, but encourages us that, hey, you can just kind of compromise a little bit. Why don't we just negotiate with the flesh? Uh, there's a persistence. How often we uh, are constantly uh, battered with the temptation to do a certain thing. And here we, we see how that uh, uh, Sanballat continued to uh, encourage Nehemiah, come together, get together with us. We can work this out. We can come alongside you. You're kind of getting yourself into trouble. And then the letter with false accusations to that they were going to rebel and that they were going to set up the kingdom. And that Nehemiah's motives were simply to make himself king over all this nation. And then the name dropping of the nations are saying this, and Geshem is even saying this, that, that these are, are true. And, and how often that uh, Satan has a way of running a script in our minds of, of who we are and what we are, and rather than us thinking about the fact that we are a child of God, one who has the, all the privileges of a joint heir with Jesus Christ, uh, Satan wants to bring false ac- accusations against us and, and try to have us put a label on ourselves different than what God has, has given to us. And then you have the bribing of the insiders of Shemaiah and uh, the other prophets, uh, individuals that should have been uh, uh, on the side of Nehemiah, but instead had uh, secretly turned on him and taken bribes so that they could uh, take the words that uh, Sanballat and Tobiah wanted them to say and insert them into Nehemiah's thinking and to discourage him from uh, Uh, doing what is right. And he even had the situation where he uh, had certain alliances. We'll see this in verses 17 through 19 as we find out that Tobiah has all these family interactions by marriage and how that he has uh, had also these business interactions so that uh, people were in alliance with him. And how often uh, Satan wants to get in close with our flesh. He knows what we desire. He knows what we are thinking would be good. 
And all of this manipulation to compromise came in a package that was uh, at a time when Nehemiah probably would have been tempted to put his guard down. The walls have been built. All you got left is the doors. And uh, there were so much more to be completed as we'll look on uh, today. And if you were to read further in the rest of the book of Nehemiah, there's much more than just simply getting the walls up. But Nehemiah, rather than being tempted to give in to the possibility of ease, the possibility of, okay, maybe Tobiah and Sanballat aren't that bad. Uh, letters were written and interaction continued to uh, come as you look at the latter part of this chapter. Uh, as, as it says this, he, um, he says this starting in uh, uh, verse 16. And when all our enemies heard it and all the nations around us were afraid and fell, gra- fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. And Tobiah's letters came to them, for many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, uh, the son of Era, and his son Jehonian uh, had taken the daughter Meshulam, uh, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. So you see these alliances were set up to, in a in a sense, get in behind the scenes and try to manipulate the situation uh, where, where Nehemiah uh, would have been tempted maybe to give in, maybe to give in because he couldn't fight the rumors and he couldn't uh, uh, keep up with all the internal people that seemed to be on his side but in reality were not. But his determination was to complete. I notice in verse 3 where he says, Am I going to leave and spend time with you in this neutral place when I have this great work to do? He was not willing to be deterred from what God had called him to do. Uh, We have a great work. We have the great work of walking worthy as a child of God of knowing that God has given us the responsibility of taking his word, learning what it's like to be his child, and keeping that identity before us. God has called us to walk as that child of God or as a disciple, and he's also called us to make disciples and to continue this responsibility despite the fact that things might get hard or even in times when uh, we are tempted uh, to take on alliances that are not helpful in our situation. And so we are to remember that God has given us a vision, a responsibility, and not be distracted from it. Nehemiah was not willing to take the easy way of of thinking, oh, these guys who had been against me all of a sudden are on my side. (laughs) Satan may may make us think that from time to time, that he's on our side. Or there might be things of our flesh that uh, we think is on our side but we need to continue to go to the word of God and to recognize what is my role as a child of God and what will help me to be a part of his disciple-making process. Uh, The next thing he says is this. He says, oh God, strengthen my hands. I am sure it was a challenge at that time for Nehemiah to possibly give in. But in light of all that he has done, Nehemiah has proven that he was a man that was dependent upon God. He could have looked at all of what he accomplished in those uh, uh, just less than two months, the correlating of all the people to get together to do the work, 
to get them to stand strong in adversity, to work out a very thorny issue that was complex and internal amongst those that had offended others, and then to have to deal with those who are, are conspiring against him behind his back. He didn't know who to trust, who not to trust, uh, so he turns to God. God is the one who gives us strength, and he is the one that gives us wisdom. I love how he says in the scripture, if we lack wisdom, we can ask of God, our Father, for he gives that wisdom to us liberally, and I like the concept that he gives it to us non-condescendingly. God is on our side, and he wants us to be successful in becoming uh, the disciple that he has designed us to be and to make disciples. And then there's the, uh, the issue of that, uh, um, that man, we assume, a prophet, uh, who was in his house, Shemaiah, and he took Nehemiah aside or asked for him to come, and he says, let's go into the temple together. Let's go in there and hide, because they are attempting to take your life. They're attempting to take your life even tonight. And Nehemiah said, I will not go in. He was guarding his heart. He was cautious as to what the situation was. At that time, he had no idea that this man was on the take from uh, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah. Uh, he had probably counted him as someone he could trust, but he knew what he was exhorting him to do was not what God would be pleased. He knew that he couldn't be... Uh, be running away from God, running away from them, and that he needed to, uh, um, to put his trust in God. But he also knew that running to God would not entail going into the temple for what this man was encouraging him to do. Because uh, he said that would be a sin against God. And it could be that he was considering uh, what was said about that portion of the, of the temple, that it was not to be a place for him to go because he was not a priest. Maybe he was considering what, was, what had taken place uh, in, uh, that's recorded in 2 Corinthians 26, when Uzziah, out of pride, uh, chose to go into the temple, and he was willing to go in and make a sacrifice. Here's what it says. It says, but when he was strong, uh, talking about Uzziah, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. We know that the priests attempted to keep him from doing that, and as he worked at continually being proud, leprosy broke out on him. Another example is, is, uh, is Saul. He wasn't so much prompted by pride, he was prompted by fear. And he said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. This is what took place just before Samuel had to inform Saul that he was not a man after God's heart and that God was seeking someone different than him to, to lead his people. Saul was a people pleaser. He feared people more than he feared what God's will was for his life and how God would take care of, of the situation. And as a result, he did something that God had said not to do. Nehemiah was not willing to do that. Despite the pleas and the encouragements of this man that maybe uh, Nehemiah had considered a godly man, he said, I will not go in. I will not 
uh, cause myself to sin because it might be convenient or it might be uh, uh, protective. I want to do that which is pleasing to God and not allow something else to come into my life. We find that often we have our, our situations with Satan as he wants to make those kind of provisions as well. He did the same thing with Jesus. We find it recorded in Matthew chapter 4, uh, shortcuts to, to uh, Jesus being able to set up his kingdom. And uh, Jesus said that he is not to be tempted and that he used scripture to, to send Satan away. Nehemiah was not going to be brought into this same kind of uh, uh, reaction to fear or reaction to pride. He wanted to stand true, and he wanted to make sure that God was the one who was going to be exalted. And we see how that comes into play. If you look at that verse uh, 15, where Nehemiah says, we finished it in 52 days. Here is a project that sat at rest for decades and decades, almost 100 years with it not being uh, done. But you can understand maybe why it hadn't been done. Uh, the people were discouraged. There were these alliances to try to keep it from taking place. Uh, Tobiah had uh, very deep talons into the nobles, and, and there were plenty of reasons to where they would would pick up and do the work. But Nehemiah was willing to be steadfast. But what's interesting is you see in those 52 days, uh, that was basically about half of about the time, half about half of the amount of time that Nehemiah spent in prayer and preparation while he was still back in Sudan. When he was uh, with the, the king and uh, as he was a cupbearer, he spent that time in prayer and preparation, uh, it, and we should take that as uh, a reminder that to see great things happen, we need to be uniting together in prayer and depending upon God. And in that, uh, we know that when it's all said and done, God is glorified. Nehemiah recognized it wasn't about his ability to coordinate people and be a great leader and overcome opposition. He knew that all along the way, step by step, it was God that was directing the process. And as a result, those that are around him, those that are his enemies, they feared because they knew it wasn't just a Nehemiah they were up against. They were up against God. And so should it be in our lives that we recognize that it's not just up, us up against Satan and our flesh, that we have God to help us work through these difficult times and to give us strength and give us direction so that when it's all said and done, whether it be an, an internal conflict that we're dealing with or a project that uh, overwhelms us or uh, the accomplishing of leading someone to Christ that we prayed for for a long time, that we know when the end result comes that it is actually God that is glorified, that people know that God is the one that made it happen. When you consider that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, is it evident to other people? Are we able to communicate to others that it's not all about me? It's not all about my abilities, my gifts, uh, my circumstance, my investment. It's about God 
And Nehemiah, despite the fact that he did something that no one else was able to do, despite the fact that he stood strong in the face of all sorts of opposition, despite the fact there are people that didn't like him and wanted to see him fail on the outside of the wall and even on the inside of the wall, he knew that it wasn't about him. It was about God's glory. Chapter 6 concludes with us realizing that there are enemies that try to show that they are our friends. And you can apply that in, in life and go through life wondering who you can trust. But I don't think that's the intent of where we need to go today. Our intent is recognizing that we can always trust God in these situations and that the battle really isn't about uh, not trusting other people as much as it is not trusting our flesh and not trusting Satan. That Satan is so willing to, to come along and make us think that he's on our side. So let us make it our emphasis to exalt God in these situations. Chapter 7 starts out with uh, the important appointments by Nehemiah to ensure that the ministry continued. The wall was built, the doors were done, the enemies were thwarted in a sense. Uh, they had the momentum to go forward, and Nehemiah realized in order to do this, we need to have things in place. You not only have gates, but you have the gatekeepers, and you have uh, uh, those that would help the ministry to continue. Look at some of the things that he says here in verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. Nehemiah had probably done more than just those three things, but those were key elements. And in a sense, I can understand why they didn't have gatekeepers, because they didn't have gates. But why did he have to appoint singers? And why did he have to appoint Levites? There are things that had come unraveled in the work within the city that were not being done. And in a sense, Nehemiah had to uh, come alongside them and say, it's not just enough that you have the structures in place, the wall. You need individuals that are going to make sure the work of the ministry goes forward. And that's so true for us in church that as we consider our responsibility to make disciples, what are the types of structures that need to be put into place? But more importantly, who are the people that are going to make sure things get done? In that case, they need singers. Singers to remind them to worship God and to, to reflect on the greatness of God. And they needed Levites to, uh, to do a lot of the work of the the, the ministry, they did a lot of the hands-on stuff. As the priests had uh, the portion of making the sacrifices and such, the Levites did a lot of the hands-on type of things. And they were put into place. Apparently, that wasn't important for many, many, many years. And now Nehemiah has put it into place. And there might be some things as we look towards making disciples that, that individuals are going to be uh, employed to accomplish certain things in that process of, of making disciples that, uh, that as we consider what are of value uh, in that realm. He goes on to say this in verse 2. I like what he, he says. I gave my brothers Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. 
What's significant about this is Hanani was the one who brought him the news back in chapter 1. A brother of his that uh, was concerned, had a passion and a great care for his people. I imagine that came into play as Nehemiah considered who he should put into charge of, of the responsibilities there at Jerusalem. And Hanani uh, reminds us of the importance of having proper passion for the people and to desire to, to see them protected and to see them have opportunity to truly worship God. And then he mentions Hananiah. Uh, he was the governor of the castle. We are not uh, uh, given any kind of, of information as to uh, who he was or what he had accomplished. But here are some key things that is said. He was faithful. Or another translation for that word faithful is true. In this case, the true is the sturdiness and the solidness of what he stood for. Imagine in a time when Nehemiah didn't know who he could turn to. Many of the nobles were in cahoots with Tobiah. Uh, they were interrelated by marriage, by business deals. And so the fact that Hananiah uh, was one who was true and faithful, one who had a very pure motive and a desire to please God. He uses this word, God-fearing, that, ne that uh, Nehemiah recognized in Hananiah that he was one that over and above those that were around him, he was one who was willing to put his fear of God over his fear of people. You notice in chapter 6, and as we looked at some of the uh, corollary uh, passages that uh, fear of people uh, was a major theme. They wanted Nehemiah to be afraid. I am sure those that conspired with Tobiah and Sanballat and Geshem, uh, they were fearful. Fearful of maybe losing property. Fearful of all sorts of different things. And they were motivated by that. Nehemiah recognized in this man that he was a God-fearing person. Uh, so that... Uh, so the encouragement is for us to, to see how that fearing God or following God is critical. You might recall in our first message on Nehemiah how that we stated that the whole of the Old Testament, New Testament talks about Jesus and how that the goal of looking at Nehemiah is to remind us not how we should run a government or anything along that line, but that how that we should uh, see our need for Jesus Christ. And so it's my desire at this particular juncture to look at some of the things that we see in these two chapters, in chapter 6 and 7. How does that impact the gospel? Well, the first thing I, I want to say is comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is talking about those individuals that were coming in as if they were friends of the people of Corinth. They were making all sorts of accusations about Paul. They were, in a sense, false apostles. And they were presenting themselves as having a better gospel than what Paul had. And Paul, in that context, he says this about Satan and says this about those who want to distract us from accepting Christ as personal Savior. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Our encouragement from this is to recognize that there are those that might distract us from the gospel. The philosophies of the world, even the philosophies of many religions, even those that call themselves Christians will come up with all sorts of new truth to distract us from the gospel. In the book of Galatians, uh, Paul very strictly had to warn them that there is no other gospel, that the gospel we have is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. He that the gospel is very clear, but yet there are those that want to, uh, in a sense, come alongside us and distract us from the truth that we can trust God. So we want to follow, we not only be aware that, that Satan is the angel of light, he can make things look really good. He's not always the sand ballot in your face, we are going to make you hold up your sword and your shield while you build the wall kind of actions. Sometimes he's trying to make an alliance with you. Maybe he's sending a letter saying we can be on the same team. Satan has the capacity to make it look like he's safe, but he's always, always that roaring lion uh, seeking to devour us. So therefore, we need to move forward into following the truth. In John chapter 14, when Jesus was sharing with his disciples, I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. But then later on, he says in that, that portion, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. But he didn't want their hearts to be troubled. And they asked, you know, what, what, where are you going? What, what are you doing? And he says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. With all the confusion in this world as to where we can find truth, where we can find direction, Jesus said thousands of years ago, I am the way, I am the truth. He is the truth that uh, we need to put our faith in, and you need to follow him. If you have been thinking about how you're going to spend eternity or how you're going to be right with God. The scriptures are clear that Jesus is the answer. He's not just an answer. His death on the cross is the only answer for you to have the truth towards eternal life. And we want to make sure that you understand that. And uh, you can, even as you're at home right now, uh, you can look at the scriptures to look at how the Bible says that Christ died on the cross for your sin. He was buried and he rose again. You can place your faith in him. We'll be singing a song a little bit later that typically uh, was sung when we gave invitations for people to come forward. And I can remember back 45 years ago when I was a young teenager and I listened to that song and I thought I need to get right with Christ and I need to trust him as my savior. And I thought I had to come on one of those stanzas. But can I encourage you? You can make your following of Jesus Christ in, in the privacy of your own home by trusting him as your personal savior. The message of the gospel goes on to encourage us that we need to 
fear God and not fear people. In my own testimony, I can say the thing that, that discouraged me from taking some of the steps towards Jesus was I was concerned about what other people would think. Nehemiah was being tempted in the same fashion. What are the nations going to think? What does Geshem think? What, is, what are all these other people think? What about the people that are working with my nobles? What about the nobles? What do they think about me? He was more concerned, though, about what God thinks. And this is uh, clear from the scriptures going back into the Psalms. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There was an old Scottish preacher that was also a signer of the Declaration of Independence. So he goes back a ways. But as he interacted with those who were trying to decide, is it worth putting our name on the bottom of the Declaration of Independence, he said this, it is only the fear of God that can deliver us from the fear of man. Can I exhort you today to, to consider recognizing who God is, that he wants to provide for you eternal life, and that you aligning your life up underneath his plan is far more important than aligning your life up to the expectations others might have for you. Be willing to lean towards the gospel, to accept what Jesus Christ has, has done. And that is simple. It's to go to the one you can trust. Jesus said, that he is the one who has died on the cross for your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God wants you to believe in him to have eternal life. And I trust that you will realize that he is willing to take you just as you are. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying this great book of Nehemiah. Oh, it has so many good character studies in regard to it. Yes, it talks to us about uh, some things that went on in the, uh, the history of Nehemiah that uh, were very, very interesting. But Father, hopefully, we come from this study recognizing that we truly need you and we need your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the one that is true, the faithful one, the one that we can turn to when we don't know where else to turn. You are the solid one. You are the rock. And Father, may we come to you just as we are, that you might be glorified as we rest in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.